Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Laundry. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. Today is a super exciting episode because something happened in triathlon last weekend, and it was huge. It was the PTO championships. We have Matt Hansen coming on today who got second in the men's race. You might recognize him from his amazing run form where he sprints 18 kilometers. <laughs> of course you can't miss it. I mean, he's, he's unmistakable. Um, can't wait to chat with him. Uh, before we get there, let's talk about just the whole weekend a little bit. You know, we'll get into some of it with Matt. Um, you know, what happened before the race, the women's race was amazing to watch. And then, of course, the men's race uh, was pretty exciting, too. So I obviously was there and it was pretty cool to be in this race where you actually have media obligations before there's photo shoots. There's, you know, a lot of the athletes had breakfast with Bob interviews, um, which were pretty popular for the fans to watch. There's just a ton of hype for this race. And it felt like a real world championship honestly, for me, way more than when I was at 70.3 Worlds, uh, the two times I raced that. It just feels more like the race matters and people care. And at 70.3 Worlds, it feels like there's an age group race and there's pros there as well. Um, And it's just, you know, it's a different feeling completely. So that was definitely um, cool to be a part of. And as somebody kind of watching this stuff, Garrick, was it easy to kind of get like hyped up for the race like they wanted us to? Man, there was so much buzz around this race, uh, especially among triathletes. Obviously, I don't think non-triathletes knew this was happening, but it was it was super exciting. I think the the whole atmosphere around it and the idea of just like the unknown, you know, like there's this 20 meter draft rule. There's all these fast swimmers, all these ITU guys, long course guys. We can kind of get into that. Uh, girls, obviously girls as well kind of coming in and we didn't with this unfamiliar distance that's obviously pretty much a 70.3 we can say that yeah and yeah just a different format we didn't know what to expect we didn't know how the logistics were going to play out we didn't know what the coverage was going to be like they told us it was going to be great coverage going to be awesome and i think that really did come to fruition watching the race and just like the coverage the way they had it set up with the timing they had that top 20 leaderboard on the left hand side so you kind of knew where everyone was at and they had it shuffling through you had the time gaps and it it kept you entertained the whole time i know me personally when i was watching man i watched almost the whole thing i tuned into the women's race halfway through just because I i had a long run in the morning and i didn't take my eyes off the screen the whole time i was barely on my phone if i was it was because the group chat was blowing up with talking about the race and I just felt myself incredibly like invested in it. It's something I don't see even in that in 70.3 worlds coverage, stuff like that. It gets kind of dull and boring, but the way they had it with five commentators or six commentators and it was awesome. They were going back and forth from on the course to, you know, um, in the booth and, and they actually had cameras, you know, following some of the front athletes and they would go to people who were in different places on the course, like Kevin McKinnon. And um, it was just, yeah, it was cool. I actually watched 
the first part of the women's race when I was in the hotel waiting to head over for my race. And it was definitely next level coverage. If you haven't seen it, check out, I'm sure it's still on the PTO website. Um, absolutely amazing. But, uh, but yeah, it was also really hard to not get extremely nervous for this race. Like it's just, you know, you, you go and you look at Thorsten Rad's ratings and I think I was, I think he expected me to be 31st and within one minute of like my time, there were 12 guys all within the same one minute. And I'm like, this is just an example of what this race is going to be. And it turned out that way. Like you just, the gaps between the, the athletes was not a lot and it was just incredibly competitive. And that's why it's hard to, you know, not get super nervous, but it definitely was a challenge to just turn that into positive energy that you can use to kind of fuel, um, fuel yourself on race day. But um, yeah. So, I mean, the women's race definitely played out a lot different than the men's race, but Garrick, did you, kind of what were you thinking in when you're watching and I saw this part as well when you kind of have the two fast swimmers come out Lucy Hall and Lauren Brandon and then you have the main group behind did you think like that winner's probably going to come from that made first swim group so I actually missed that part of the race I tuned in right when Paula got into the lead so wow I guess outlook on the race was Paula hold on yeah (laughs) Uh, i think the main storyline if if we're gonna put a mvp from this weekend me personally i would give that to paula oh for sure i mean obviously i'm biased being canadian but the way she just dominated that race was extremely impressive and i i found myself very emotionally invested in it uh, because I remember being, so I was lucky enough to to go to the London Olympics in 2012. There's a group of students, uh, we got selected to go. And I remember watching her after this whole hype about her and Tricam putting all this pressure on her and all the drama that happened. And I remember watching her on the last lap of the run, like crying as she's coming by us. And that was eight years ago. And it was like, you know, she's, she's really reinvented herself and to see her really evolve into this, this long course athlete, that's like back on the top of her game and seeing this almost like, this is like circa 2010, 2011 Paula versus Lisa Norton at the front of a race with Ann Howe trying to run them down in ITU, but now they're grown women <laughs> with all this power in this long course race. And it was amazing. I loved it. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's a, it's not easy to do when you kind of had a fall from grace, I guess you could say, as, as one of the best ITU athletes in the world. At the time, she was the best in the world back in 2010. And to kind of hit, you know, a low point, a really low point, and have to work your way back, it's just amazing um, that she pulled it off and in dominant fashion, like you said. Like, it wasn't in doubt for very long. Like, it was pretty clear that she was running well and she was going to get away and Obviously, unfortunately, Lisa Norton had to pull out with the the injury and wasn't able to compete for that podium. But um, would have been a pretty interesting race if Ann Howe hadn't gotten that penalty. But I still think Paula, if she needed it, had you know had a little bit more run legs. Um, yeah, left a lot. A lot of people. This this was the storyline that everybody's talking about after the race, and they're saying, "What if Ann Howe didn't get that two minute penalty? You know, she would have been within whatever it was, forty five seconds or something." of Paula and it's like well not really 
because Paula was way ahead. There was no one around her. Like the closest Anne Howe got was 245. But you also have to take consideration Anne Howe got a two-minute break, like a yeah. rest. It was almost an interval Yeah. after the bike. So that would have given her a few extra seconds. And then if she is running down Paula and Paula knows that going to the last lap, like Paula was so strong. She crossed the finish line and she wasn't even tired, it seemed like. So yeah. she definitely had so much left in the tank. Oh, yeah. She would have won no matter what. It was no question. Um, but also, and got that penalty. So, like, a penalty is a penalty. And if you say, well, what if she hadn't gotten a penalty? Then it would have been, well, then she wouldn't have been in the draft zone and also probably would have biked slower. So, you know, 100% deserving win for Paula. Absolutely amazing. Um, and, yeah, I was, like, I actually was walking kind of over – I I ended up sort of bumping into Eric Lagerstrom before our race when Paula was like just about to finish and he was like he didn't even know what to say and uh, <laughs> I, I don't know whether that put pressure on him or took it off I would say it took the pressure off him um, but yeah that was just so cool for those two um, any other impressions from the women's race things that you didn't expect things that surprised you um, yeah Nicholas Beerg her performance on the swim and the bike. Well, not so much swim, but mostly the bike was extremely disappointing to me. She's such a powerhouse on the bike. And I don't know if she just didn't properly prepare for this race because her coach, Brett Sutton decided it was not a race up a mountain. So it wasn't worth racing or, or what, but yeah, she just didn't come ready to race. And to me, that was disappointing because I thought she could have really been a factor. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of, you know, little surprises. I, um, one person who sort of surprised me in a good way early on um, was Lucy Hall, how strong she rode. Um, obviously, she didn't put together the run she would have wanted, but she really stayed way up at the front and rode a world-class bike split to be only, I think it was only a couple minutes slower than Paula and Lisa. Like, that's amazing. Um so good on her as someone who hasn't really ridden a time trial bike. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a pretty stellar race and obviously some of the athletes we expected to do well, like um, Holly Lawrence did pretty well and, and Haug's no surprise, Laura Phillip, you know, she's been coming in really hot the last year or so. So that wasn't a surprise to see her do well either to me at least. Yeah. And I think a lot of people were saying, it was like the ITU athletes versus the non-ITU athletes versus the Ironman specialists. And looking at the top 10, top 20 of both men's and women's fields, I think you can pretty much decide that nobody won. Uh, yeah. I think it, it was pretty evenly spread across that. The best athletes were the people with ITU backgrounds and are now long course specialists. I would say they really more so dominated that top 20 yeah yeah for sure and um even on the men's side with gustav eden winning it he, he's done long course races before and i think that's important I, I i do think you needed at least some experience on the time trial bike if you were going to get on the podium yeah um, he's done five or six long course races so yeah and that's huge and especially on such a flat course um but yeah so Paula Crush Women's Race, really awesome race to watch. Definitely go watch that if you haven't yet. And then men's race, totally different feel because in the women's race, you had Paula, Paula Finley and Lisa Norton 
way kind of off the front, but not way off the front to where you thought it was a guaranteed win for them. There's definitely that aspect of, can someone catch them? The men's race, there was almost no way to predict what was going to happen at any point if you're watching that race. Um, so we go into a lot more detail about that with Matt. But uh, I didn't actually see a whole lot of the men's race till after because I was pretty much in my own <laughs> bubble for that race. Um, I, I think I was in the race, but like for a lot of the day, I was barely in the race. Like I was, you know, I was pretty far towards back. Um, I had a pretty good swim, just didn't have my best bike. And it's a tough course um, for me. I'm just, I just haven't historically been really successful on flat courses and um, to, you know, most of the time, if it's short enough, like a 40 K, I seem to be able to hold that position and push through it and, and hold really good power. But as soon as you get longer than that, for me, I just, I need to do better at um, just being used to that position and being a, a, able to hold good power in that position for a long time. But um, yeah, kind of ended up getting not a lot of headway on the bike and coming off. And what was I in off the bike? Like 33rd or 30th or 35th uh, or something. Yeah, you 31st. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, ran well and, and did pick guys off throughout the run. Um, guys, some guys were dropping out too. So it was kind of hard to tell what was going on, but, uh, I had, I, I could tell, I could see Cody and a few others running about a minute and a half up on me. And I just tried to, you know, at least catch some of those guys. And I did, I did catch, you know, Joe Gambles and, uh, a few others and, and I caught, um, Boris Stein in the last hundred meters. So that was a good feeling to run strong to the end and have a pretty good run split. One of the top 10 run splits on the day. Um, so I was happy with that, but it, one thing that just stuck out to me was the level of competition on this race was just unbelievable. Like if, you know, if somebody had said that you're going to be eight minutes behind the win, um, I would have thought that's probably a pretty good day for me really. And I'd be happy with that, but that was good for 24th. So that's just the way that it was. And <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's, it's good motivation that with a few, you know, improvements, I can definitely, definitely get into that top 20 and maybe even close to the top 10. Um, I've just got to really improve that bike on the championship level. Um, but what did you have for impressions from the men's race, Garrick? You know, as you expected, did it play out that way? Did you think it would be that many lead changes and that much movement within, you know, the top 20 guys? It was almost exactly as I expected until Brownlee pulled out. Yeah. And at that point I was, well, I wouldn't say I expected Louis to get a penalty, obviously watching the first five minutes of the bike I did, <laughs> but prior to the race, I, I hadn't even thought about penalties at all. They hadn't even crossed my mind just yeah. because of the championship race. And I was thinking, well, there's cones set out supposedly every 20 meters and that's what the officials will be keying off of. So I, I would assume the athletes would be keying off of that too. One question I have for you though, Jack, just looking at the, the guys riding and the rules were, was it USAT rules? I know it was 20 meter draft room, but I saw a lot of guys like slotting in, which is yeah, not an Ironman, but that wasn't supposed to be allowed either. Um, so they changed the rules. Um, the, the custom rule for this race was the 20 meter zone and you have to pass and you have to make the pass within 40 seconds once you start passing and you can't slipstream. So really it was, you know, USAT rules 
that have changed kind of recently, but it's same USAT rules, but with the 20 meter zone instead of 12. So the thing that was interesting and kind of where a lot of the gray area came in is they said, okay, we're going to use the, the pylons. The pylons are going to be 20 meters apart. Use the pylons as a reference. It was all about the pylons and those pylons were not 20 meters apart. I am 100% sure of that. They were maybe 14, 13 meters on average. Like, um, so you're obviously still getting a huge draft benefit when you're in a group of 10 people, all spaced 12, 13 meters apart. And I didn't see, but you know, I heard there was a lot of cutting in some people within the distance of two cones. Um, so when you, when that's happening and honestly me being further back in the field, smaller groups and people were actually spaced out at least one cone, if not more, um, you just don't know that the front is doing that until they lap you and you see them doing it. (laughs) And you just, you can't really compete from where I, from where I was. It's hard. It's hard to compete when the guys at the front are so strong and they're getting an advantage like that. It's just, I mean, some people did it. Matt did it. He freaking rode on his own and he rode very strong competitive to stay in the race. Like that's, it was possible, but it's just, you know, it's tough to, to swallow when you see that and you realize, Oh, okay. This is why, you know, they're out biking me by so much, but um, it's championship racing and guys are going to do what they're going to do to stay at the front. And there weren't that many penalties given out. So I feel, I guess the rest on average, the guys probably were staying that one pylon apart and um, one pylon gap apart, I guess. And they were getting an advantage, but that's on me to swim better and to be in those groups and to be in those positions. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess questions answered, like you, when you're on a 4k loop, it's kind of hard to space everyone out at least 20 meters. And I think that's probably why they put their cones a little closer and, and that really played a big factor in how the race played out. I think. Yeah. It's hard to tell the distance that the guys are apart when you're watching on TV. Cause obviously the head on shot, or even if it's a slightly oblique shot, it compresses everything. So everything just looks super close and. I try not to to judge it off of the camera angles, but with the cones, it's obvious. Wait, yeah. if you're within the cones and they're telling you those cones are how far apart we want you to be, well, it's a penalty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't want to focus too much on that uh, because I do think that the best athletes kind of showed up in that top five. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, how do you think? So going forward, the PTO announced that they are doing going to do a series almost like a stadium series like this what do you see would you hear anything about that there or there wasn't a lot of info kind of spread yeah all we've heard is the same thing that's been in the um new york times article and they're apparently gonna have four of these one million dollar races um next year and though I'm assuming they're going to have like four different continents, four different parts of the world spaced out a couple months each, at least. And they're hoping the best will show up to every race. And I mean, I think it's inevitable that you won't have as competitive as a field in any of them as you did in this race. Um, for a, a number of reasons, the one being obviously the ITU athletes are going to be focusing on the Olympics. So they're going to do either none of the races or, None of them until the Olympics are done, I would assume. Um, maybe they'll do one if it's early season. And then 
you also have people who are Ironman athletes and they want to get that Ironman in, or they want to qualify for Kona or they want to race Kona. So I think what you'll see is more of the 70.3 specialists like myself, probably doing all of them or almost all of them. And then you'll get some of the, you know, you might get a couple ITU athletes and then you'll get quite a few of the Ironman athletes, but they'll maybe do one or two of them. So um, it's going to be really exciting and very competitive still, but um, a little bit more, um, you know, not quite as crazy as what we saw here. Uh, I think plus you've got the Collins cup, which is going to be the extremely competitive race um, because it's an even bigger prize purse. So a lot of exciting racing to come next year. And it'll be interesting to see how people select their races and, and where they choose to put their focus with so many big races on the calendar. Yeah. Well, congrats on your race, Jack. I know it was maybe a few seconds off kind of that top 20 and that, that bump in pay, but it was a great experience. You know, you're within striking distance and ready to rip. Congratulations to all the athletes that absolutely crushed it this weekend. Paula, especially Matt Hansen was coming on. And then obviously Eden was just a class act as well. And I got, Oh, I got to give a shout out to my boy Lionel who really gutted out on the last lap there and finishing fourth, despite kind of everybody counting him out. It seems like at the start of that run, but let's, uh, roll into that interview so we don't keep everybody waiting too long so everybody this is matt hansen oh my gosh so matt hansen so so thankful you're coming on the show today jackson thanks for bugging him enough to get him on the show hopefully you didn't have to grovel too much to get him on our on our little show here so matt (laughs) thank you for coming on um uh thanks for having me yeah um so the the brief flow for all of our listeners is you know matt just if you don't know already, then you lived in a hole and you need to dig out and get some antennas going on because Matt is just champed Challenge Daytona. Like he may not have won, but given the real estate, he may have won a couple more kilometers. Um, you never know. But we'll talk about that epic race um, kind of at the end. But first off, Matt, like how you feeling? Just give us a general buzz on like where your head is right now. Yeah. Uh... I haven't really slept and I haven't really stopped smiling for the last uh, couple of days. Um, <laughs> definitely, definitely was a good, good way to end the, end the crappy 2020 uh, for sure. So uh, I was actually uh, a little bit more sore than I was um, after Ironman Florida. So I was, I was a little worse yesterday, especially than I was uh, after the Ironman uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but uh, I, I seem to rebound it pretty well, feeling a little bit, a uh, little bit better today um, already, and you know, took the dog for a walk again today. Finally, so I'm, I'm moving the body. You're a able to bit. walk. Yesterday, I, uh, <laughs> I sat in my desk chair and didn't move the whole day, and just. Uh, um, so, did you finally catch up with all your athletes too, who were finally like going all like, "Where's my plan, man? I know you had a great race, but where's my plan for next week?" <laughs> yeah, thankfully, thankfully, I planned ahead on the coaching side of things, and. Uh, you know, we, we had a lot of downtime in the, in the hotel room leading into the race. So I got everything done on Friday um, for the week. Uh, so I just uh, had to go through uh, some weekend training and, and uh, make sure I, I didn't have to um, uh, adjust too much with uh, how, you know, however things went. Bought internet on the coach. plane on the way home. I splurged and spent $8 for internet oh. so I could get some of that done yeah. on the plane. That, that is so worth it. Like I, 
always buy the internet on the plane because it's like you paid for it. So you're like, I have to be productive. It's the most productive time ever for me. Exactly. Exactly. I, I went oh. through my computer battery, my phone battery, and then it was onto my iPad. <laughs> it was a four hour flight. So it was great. That's wow. stellar. Well, well if Jack um, spend money on something, you know, it's worth it. <laughs> Especially a haircut. It's either food or like something essential. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this year, Nick, you know, touched on this. You've been crushing it. Obviously, this last race, second place, amazing. But even going back further, um, you've, you've probably raced as much as anyone this year. You've really done a great job taking advantage of all those opportunities. And, I mean, you won Campeche before things shut down. You, you were second at Ironman Florida. You were, you're probably, I would say your only off day might've been 70.3 or your main off day, 70.3 Cozumel or your fifth. But other than that, you're pretty much winning or podium every race. So like, how did you manage to hold such good form all year? And like, what, what is it about this year that you think has been very successful for you? Or do you think this is just, you know, you being yourself and nothing special really happened? You're just that, that awesome. <laughs> uh, no, I definitely wouldn't say that. I, I've certainly had my uh, share of uh, rough races. Um, you know, this year was, it was a huge curveball and, um, you know, I think the athletes that really enjoy the process and that daily grind, uh, came out of it the best at the end, the ones that kind of need to feed off of the energy of races. And, you know, I absolutely love that. Um, but I, I think I love the, the grind more, um, about this sport. I just love the process. And, um, you know, uh, you know, if this was 2016, when I was really, um, struggling with the mindset, I, I would have been in, in a lot of trouble. Um, but, you know, I think I've, hopefully learned from some past mistakes and, and uh, uh, you know, had some good people in my corner to just help keep the process uh, the way that it should be. And, you know, I'll be, you know, completely honest, like, you know, yeah, Campeche was a big race for me. I was, it was my first race after the sacral stress fracture coming back from that. Um, so I, I, it was a huge validation that, you know, things were going to get back on track again. And then, I mean, you, you were there as well. Um, the, uh, the world changed from the time we flew to Campeche to the time we got back from Campeche. Right. And so, you know, it, that was such a crazy and, and disheartening moment, um, you know, getting back there and seeing just race after race after race canceled. Um, and, you know, I, I, I chose a very, very aggressive race schedule. I mean, I, I did Bear Lake. Then the next week I did uh, Cozumel. Then the next week I did, um, the uh the huntington try um so two of those pto um pop-up races and then i moved uh to castle rock colorado from iowa uh the day after that race then i did a 10k uh swim marathon run and then had two weeks did ironman florida and then three weeks then daytona uh so it was a, a crazy oh schedule God. it wasn't the ideal one for um racing but uh you know to be completely honest my my coaching business really took a hit um and and so i really just wanted to get out and show people that racing was was returning and and life is going to go back to normal and you know just try to encourage a lot of the people to to get back to training and and just kind of do my part on that front and so i definitely you know we found out what two weeks before um that the bear lake race was going to happen and and maybe another two weeks before I did my best on that I know I, that, that was, that <laughs> was kidding, awesome, yeah. but I mean, it was just, it, it came to fruition very fast. And, you know, the day I found out about it, I sent it off to coach. I said, let's do it. Right. And, 
you know, so I don't think, you know, I think all the athletes there were in a very different place fitness wise, you know, no one really knew it was just great to get back to racing. And, and, um, you know, I don't think anybody there could say that they're in absolute peak shape, you know, except for maybe Sam, uh, who just seems to be in peak shape all year round. Uh, you know, so yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I kicked the can down the road a few times, took a few breaks. I was planning on an Ironman in, in uh, Australia in May and then planning on an Ironman um, in uh, St. George. And then, um, then I switched to Arizona. And so the whole plan was in this whole race prep was to, to get ready for Arizona. And then, you know, a couple of weeks before Arizona, we found out that the pro race was canceled. So I lost that two weeks of training for Florida. And so, you know, the, the whole buildup was to peak basically the week before the PTO championship or two weeks before the PTO championships. And so, um, I went into Florida, maybe a little bit underdone, uh, which turned out fine. I, I got what I went there for, uh, you know, the Kona slot and, and I was able to really recover quite well from that. Um, and then do that final build up and, and uh, put together a good race in Daytona. Holy man. What but a year it to put you all to sleep there. <laughs> Don't forget yeah, about like, the Zwift series you did too. And yeah. I, oh, yeah. I was watching you in that series and like you were having the highest power numbers of anyone in the race. And I'm like, this guy, his bike fitness is off the charts. I guess it's no surprise that you rode solo, like a, what, a 141 bike split or something like that. Yeah, I don't know what, like, you know, I was talking to Cody, uh, and he's like, yeah, I don't know what happened. But after Florida, my my swim just got awesome. I was in, in awesome in the water. And for me, the, you know, that the bike fitness just kind of stuck around. And, and I was hitting some really good numbers. And it was, yeah, fun. I still don't know how to tactically race those things very well. So I was getting crushed <laughs> in some of the crits and things like that. And don't have your top end so wasn't able to out sprint you ever or anything like that but the tts were going pretty well for me yeah no kidding um so nick you you noticed a, a kind of a style of racing that matt has and you explained it before how how is it like you know he seems to go for it every race you put it in a kind of a better way though what what how would you explain that um, so Campeche, I was waiting for you guys to come up to me on the bike. And then I guess you guys were just, you had lower back pain. So that was just a fluke. And then the other races you did, Matt, like at Bear Lake, as soon as you caught us, like, and I noticed specifically on your downhill power production, it was just next level. Like I was probably putting, when you and Liferman went by me at Bear Lake, I had to put out like 370 for like, a couple of minutes just to try to stay close and like just the amount of momentum you carried into that hill was just it was beautiful like all the downhill power and just charging ahead even your even then again at Cozumel when we were able to race with you again you basically brought everyone like solo back and then I wasn't with you at the Huntington race but then at Ironman Florida again like talking with Cody um you were just on the front of the, on the front of that race a lot of the time uh driving it and then even Liferman just surged and tried to blow you guys up at the end but just I've noticed you've put a lot more emphasis on really driving the race and racing to win and especially trying to take chinks out of all the other guys armor that are around you so have you like gone into those tactically um aware of what you're going to do or has this been like I know my strengths and no matter what, I'm not breaking it. Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, you know, I think that uh, I've, I, well, I've definitely spent a lot of time with uh, coach Bottrell and, and just 
learning how to ride my bike. He's a road cyclist, um, comes from a road cyclist and a, a strict time trial background. So he, you know, he only works with me on the bike and then I have coach Julie on the run and swim. Um, but I spent a lot of time with him just, you know, learning how to tactically ride the races, use the wind, use the hills. And uh, that's definitely shown up in, in some of those races. Like, you know, I was able to, you know, especially do it in the conditions we had in Bear Lake, which were pretty tough. Um, and, and so that, you know, just using that as a strength um, and, and as a way to conserve a lot of energy as well um, has helped. And, you know, the other part is like, maybe a little bit of arrogance on my part that, um, you know, I, I tend to be on the start line feeling that I have the ability to win every race if I don't screw it up. It's not going to happen, but I, I think that, you know, I can. And, um, you know, if I come out of the water and, you know, and I'm, you know, a couple of minutes behind the lead pack, which is typically the case, I'm not afraid to do the work typically, um, you know, and, and, uh, give myself a chance to win. Like I, I'm not there to race for second. And I feel if I feel like, you know, I'm not, you know, sometimes being the one to drive that pace, I feel pretty good about my ability to uh, outrun most people on a given day, as long as I don't do something dumb on the bike. And so, um, you know, well, specifically, do you, do you think that you're riding tactics during specifically Cozumel um, and maybe Bear Lake since it was so cold. Do you think those took a little bit out of your, your normal yeah. run yeah. that takes you all yeah. the way to the front? Yep, yeah, for sure. Cozumel was a mistake. Um, I, I, uh, you know, I, I, in hindsight, I should have raced that one for a second um, or, you know, or you know, just um, I, I rode too hard on the bike to, to try to catch, you know, not to point fingers, but to try to catch a group that was, working very much together in a similar to ITU style of racing. I mean, we called them out already in a few former podcasts, so don't feel okay. bad. Like, I, <laughs> you know, I, I hate to be the one, you know, just complaining because I didn't have a good day or anything like that. But, you know, like I, you know, tactically, I lost that race on the bike. Um, well, I lost that race by, by losing so much time on the swim, uh, first and foremost. But, um, you know, with my, with my ability on the day, like, I, I could have got second in that race if I had raced it a little bit different or maybe third, I could have been on the podium, but I, I rode aggressive, tried to, tried to ride for the win and or ride to put myself in a chance to win. And I couldn't run, you know, but, uh, but we yeah. love seeing that though, honestly, like reputation go all side of everything. Like you're always a stud runner at, at most every race. Like we've never seen you really be outside the top five very often. Um, and that's because you're, we always know, you're going to run your way back there, even if the swim is a little dodgy and you've got to, you know, try to fight on the bike, but just seeing your tactics change this year, I noticed it. And it was just really impressive, even riding with and behind and just seeing you go by sometimes, um, you know, running off those efforts and doing it. solo. like, obviously I would love to do the same thing, but your running prowess is just next level. So that's like why I look up to guys like in your position where you're able to not only, sustain that 90% FTP on the bike drive, burn some matches, but then your, your legs just respond. And then <laughs> we'll, we'll go to the quote that I was going to tell you about. So is, is your swimming a little bit lackluster because you're saving all your arm energy for the run? Is that what's going on there? Um, yeah. You gotta love Brad Culp, right? <laughs> Such a good one. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> you don't have to answer. Yeah, I just wanted I, to plug I, it in there. I don't know. It has any, no relevance, but <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I've, I've been getting a lot of uh, comments about my run run form in the last couple of days, and it's just it's kind of funny to me. Like you know, for one you know, one reason or another, you know, Runner's World said that every runner should look like this, and you know the the analogy that I've always used is there's hummingbirds and there's albatross, right? They're both birds, but they both fly very different. But they both fly, right? Uh -huh. Like why do we try to make a hummingbird if we tried to make a hummingbird? fly like an albatross or vice versa, they're both going to crash. So, uh, you know, why are we trying to do that to humans, right? Like yeah. you should, your run form should be uh, what your body is, uh, has the mobility and the strength to hold. And, and uh, you know, I've had a, a coach try to change that and he wasn't my coach for very long. Um, yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's, it, I, I, I can take the, uh, take the criticism if I'm putting it. I don't think reason. it's criticism. Like, honestly, it's just different. And, I, you know, I got to be honest, like, I think Augusta two or three years ago, you ran by me and like, I tried to run like you exactly like you for about 2k. And I was like, I'm going to just launch as hard as I can and see if I can get some more distance per foot strike and like, just see if I can pull it off. And I about like had a heart attack within about a couple K. So what you, your, your form is just, I don't know. It's unique to you. Um, like Starkey has his unique form. Lionel's got the limp periodically. I mean, we've all got something. My, my knee kind of flares out and looks like it's broken half the time. Jackson looks like he's got a big old carrot wedged right up his buttocks. So, <laughs> um, Garrick, you just look like a steamroller hitting uh, everything in its track, just bouldering through. Anyways, good, good point, Matt. Everyone, you know, you, you work with what makes you fast. And if it doesn't look pretty, who cares? Yeah. I, I mean, amazing. as a coach, I've seen so many athletes, like I've, I've had multiple athletes come and he's like, yeah, I worked so hard to fix my run form. Now I just have to get that minute a mile. I lost back. It's like, you didn't <laughs> yeah. fix your run form. Sorry. <laughs> you, um, but, you know that, you know, th yeah, that's another kind of, yeah. I don't want to get off on uh, yeah, that's a, coach topic. a lot of people on the, who were watching, yesterday because or when was that sunday sunday yeah yeah just the way you you look like you were sprinting through the entire field for 18k it's just like there's like the shot of you running with vincent louis who for those listening that don't know he's the best runner in itu and then i think like five minutes later he's gone and you're just like sprinting by like lionel and schumann and, uh, and Goodwin, and Rudy, Rudy, Rudy what did Rudy say to you when he went by him? Oh yeah, <laughs> the last five guys all asked me the same question. It's like, are you a lap down? <laughs> no, <It's> just a <laughs> yes. Um, no. But let's so let's talk about your coaching a bit. When did you make that switch to to that Julie Dibbins crew with uh, with Matt Bottrell, who's just a legendary cycling coach? Yeah, so I I switched. Um, I was working with um, Tim Floyd on the swim and David Tilbury Davis uh, for 14 and 15 and then the first half of 16 and um, just had a I wasn't in the right headspace uh, you know after I after I quit my job as a college professor um, and went to a quasi pro to a full-time pro um, I, I stopped focusing on the process and started focusing on the result, stopped having fun, started putting way too much pressure on racing. And I had an awful last half of 15, first half of 16. And so I just needed a change and it, you know, it wasn't really anything against the coaches that I was working with. I'm still good friends with them. Now I talk to them on a regular basis. It was just, I needed a change. 
and uh, interviewed a couple coaches, a um, few decent stories out of that, uh, but ended up, uh, so I, I flew down to Arizona to, to try, out, try out with this coach, and I planned on being there 10 days. It was a 100% last minute thing, um, and day one, we had coffee after him seeing me swim. I was like, I don't want to coach you. You can leave now. And I stayed <laughs> to be down there for 10 days. It was just like, what am I going to do now? And so I what ended nice up, guy. Um, you know, I had a, Can you a tell friend. us who that was? Is that allowed? <laughs> it was Paulo. Oh God. Oh, ah, take that Paulo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I still have no idea what, uh, what that was all about, but that's all right. Well, now uh, he's looking in like, here, here we go. So here's a, uh, not Hanson one, Paolo Sousa zero. <laughs> well, I'm sure he didn't want to touch my swim. It was, uh, you know, <laughs> definitely has been the low hanging fruit. Uh, You're a my triathlete, career, so. man. You got a lot of but, stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was just, I was in a low place at that point, seriously about ready to be done. Um, decided to uh, head to Denver um, just so I wasn't sitting in Arizona where I knew nobody and, and, uh, stayed with a, a friend here in Castle Rock, actually, which now I'm living here, but uh, stayed with a friend here. Um, and uh, she had arranged it for Julie to be there. Uh, and we went on a ride the next day. And, and uh, so, you know, she kind of, you know, it was a blind date of coaching, I guess. So she set that up and uh, it's, it's been a great fit since. And then we added Matt, Coach Matt to the mix uh, in 2017, mid 2017. Sweet. So you mentioned Castle Rock there, and that's where you live now. Um, you you moved there about eight weeks before the PTO race, and you know most people would think moving eight weeks before a race is a bad idea because it's a lot of stress, <laughs> <laughs> and not to mention out. you also race like four times in between. So what yeah. you know, how did that look in terms of your training, and like were you able to like? pass off a lot of the busyness to your partner or was it just like you were doing absolutely everything and finding a way to fit the training in and and it's also at elevation so if you're coming from non-elevation to elevation how did that affect your training yeah i mean we went from 1000 feet to uh 6000 feet um in elevation so that was a an abrupt change um and then you know we're, we're still not unpacked like we got we got moved here and got our year. bedroom and our kitchen done. And, you know, that's what this week is for is, is you know, the, the off season, like at, you know, Ash, sorry that that's the way it's going to be. And, uh, wait, you can hire yeah. somebody to do that. Now you just got a big, big old paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't received yeah, we'll it yet. That. I wouldn't think he got yeah. the, he got the one yeah. you can take to the bank. Yeah. Well, well, I tried to cash that uh, big cardboard check that they sent me Bank of America <laughs> and do it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, there's been so much additional stress uh, in the last eight weeks. Like I've never been more ready for a break in my life. Um, you know, uh, it was hard going into, to both Florida and Daytona. You know, I felt really good at Ironman pace, even at 6,000 feet. It wasn't, that much harder but anytime i try to turn the screws a little bit and go uh you know into the the threshold and above like i would struggle and um especially uh running uh just finding that that uh that top end was it was just not there and you know so it was just trusting the process and you know uh not not stressing out about it too much when you know i'm, I'm struggling to hold what i think should be 70.3 pace 
um, and wanting to go a little bit faster because it's two miles shorter and, you know, just not, uh, not having coach do really fire me because I turn into a basket basket case or anything like that. So, um, you know, it's hard to know if eight weeks is, or, you know, I guess I was here mid, mid, um, October is when we moved. So about eight weeks and I, but I left three times to go back down to sea level. And so, uh, you know, did I get any benefits from the altitude? Yeah, probably a little bit. Um, but you know, it, I, I definitely sure like it was definitely a great, motivational uh boost to get down to daytona and just have those first workouts uh the first run and the first yeah. ride where i went pretty hard on wednesday i typically do and just seeing like the power is just there and then you know i i think uh coach julie made a comment it's like you better effing fly after this run on thursday because i ran it a little bit faster than she would have liked on uh, you know three days before the race or whatever so uh <laughs> you know i had to had to put up or get yelled at <laughs> yeah no kidding wow yep. amazing um that's uh, a good good segue into daytona as as a race in general like you guys got there a week early you set up in hotels um it seemed like everyone was absolutely well taken care of pto did a great job challenge daytona built a great little bubble for you all um so that's all awesome but you know coming from ironman florida straight to zwift and then going straight to daytona like that like i don't know like was there much of a taper that you allowed yourself to have yeah i mean i, I guess i did a i did a pretty hard weekend of training um on you know the saturday sunday before and i guess i used the the monday tuesday to kick of travel to kick off the taper um just did a uh uh like a two hour easy a ride on monday and then a, a 30 minute run as soon as i landed on tuesday uh as easy days and then wednesday was was a pretty pretty tough day which it typically is you know a couple days out for me um I've always been a bit of a shorter taper guy anyways. Um, I, I don't like a really long taper. I just don't feel good. And so uh, Matt and Julie have done a great job of, of figuring out how to, how to prime the pump. Keep I guess, happy. Right. Um, so Jack, do you want to start? I mean, you were there, so you want to yeah. weigh in on some of the tactics and what was going on at the race and get some thoughts from Matt's perspective. Yeah, for sure. So um Man, it was, I think the, the general vibe of going into the race was a ton of uncertainty for all the athletes because, you know, it's a 20 meter draft zone, but like the rules were difficult to follow in yeah. as they were explained, because, you know, you had to pass someone within 40 seconds at 20 meters, which means you have to be going four and a half miles an hour faster than them, um, which is next to impossible in, in a field where everybody is so evenly matched. Um, so, and, you know, even to add to that on the swim start, of course, a bunch of people crept a lot forward and that was kind of, uh, a bit of probably expected cause that's in every race, but Matt seemed to have a pretty good swim, but I'd like to hear from, from your perspective, Matt, how you felt. Cause we got out pretty well together, which yeah, is somewhat right. normal, but, yeah, uh, yeah, have a good swim. Cause you crept forward. <laughs> Ah, uh, no, definitely not. I was uh, <laughs> not kicked in the mouth butthole. right away uh, for not doing that. So I paid the price for it, but uh, that's all right. That's all part of the, part of the fun, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was pretty happy with how the swim went. I mean, I think every race that we've done together this year, anyways, Jackson, we've come out of the water together. So it's kind of a good benchmark, even though like, you know, I, I had no idea 
um, that's who I was doing with. There's so many people there. Um, so yeah. it's just kind of a good benchmark after the fact to know that like compared to the people that I typically compete against, um, we, uh, we were about where I should have been. And, you know, we came out with, uh, Dreitz, uh, who well outswam me at Florida a few weeks ago. And then, you know, Hoff typically outswims me, um, in races. So, you know, we came out in good company and, and, um, yeah, I mean, I was feeling really good on the bike and, you know, Dreitz blew by me through transition and, and, uh, I, I never even rode with him even for a little bit. And then I settled in and, and, was riding hard. The plan was to ride hard for the first 30 minutes. And I, I kept on uh, kind of expecting uh, the group to, to work uh, that I came out with to work a little bit, but um, it just never, it, uh, we just never like we were, I was all solo for pretty much the whole time. Um, you know, I, when I came out with Sebastian and, and uh, Ben and, and, and you Jackson, I figured like, okay, we're going to have a group to, to chase. I can, I think I can, you know, possibly stick with uh, these guys for a bit if uh, they're all feeling good and and um you know you just, us all. <laughs> the, the group never formed up and, yeah. uh, so this and, is how my perspective came from that we get on the water and matt and Dreitz take off like a bat out of hell and it's like there's no hope in going with that and that's how i think most of our group saw that because you were just so strong and like you know it's tough to to have again to have that strategy of okay we're gonna ride hard for the first 30 minutes like that is so impressive that you can you know go to that place because if you ride hard for the first 30 minutes and you you really start to feel that pain and that like that difficulty of holding that position for another hour 15 after that like that's a huge risk and to be able to be have the confidence that you know you can go out hard and still ride well is amazing and the other thing that's absolutely incredible is that Matt rode solo and the groups at the front, they were not like those pylons I put out. I think they intentionally made them less than 20 meters because they realized that wasn't going to be feasible. So those groups were getting a huge advantage, even, even though they were following the, the pylon rule, which they told us if you're, you know, if you're one pylon apart, you're okay for distance. Those groups at the front had all that. And you still, you still rode close to their split, which was absolutely amazing. And yeah, what I, was your percent of FTP you held for the first thirty? Do you do you feel okay? Uh, I was at threshold for the first thirty, and then the average total was 0.95. What a beauty! Wow, um, that's insane. I, you know, that's I went Olympic into it with power. an aggressive plan. Like the weather was cool. It was a championship race. You have to find the next level there at those. And, uh, you know, you've had those kind of days at like, um, St. George when you just have a, you know, uh, Jackson where you, you've got a great day and, and, um, and, you know, the weather was a factor or a non-factor. And then, you know, if, if I completely blew up and got 20th or 50th, you go home with the same amount. And so I felt like I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And so like I went there with, an extremely aggressive uh, strategy and uh, just tried to execute it. What did you come position wise off the bike? Do you remember? 22nd. Okay. And then running your way all the way. With like the 15th fastest split overall or something like that. Wow. Um, so, and so then know, the like top, the 10 guys in front of me were within like 15 seconds. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the one thing about this race. Like most feedback I've gotten is like even the guys who finished 21st and they're maybe like, I don't know, 
six minutes off the win. It's like that's everyone's within a couple seconds of each other for the first 10 and then it spreads out to like 30 seconds. So like, that's yeah. still incredible. Um, so moving on to the run, like what did you think you had second place in sight? Did you just know I'm need to run X, Y, and Z in order to get as close as I can? I mean, obviously you went for broke cause it was a championship race, but did you have any insights into like how far you were down minutes wise or anything? No, I, I honestly uh, had no idea where I was. Um, on the first lap, especially, uh, I think I asked, um, we, I asked somebody what place I was in coming down the home stretch on the, on the <laughs> back stretch and, and finally figured I was in eight play, 18th place at, after the first. And like, you know, I hadn't like, to be honest, I, I didn't have a placing goal in mind, um, especially at the start of the run. It was just the focus was the next person. And that was it. Um, you know, like ahead of the race, I said, you know, better than 14th would be great. Cause that was the 10 grand cutoff. And like, that'd be a great way to end the season, you know, make Christmas awesome or something like that. So I would, you know, ask somebody is like, give me a split to 14th on lap two. And at that point he said, screw 14th, let's set your sights higher for that or something like that. And nice. um, yeah. And so, you know, at that point I just, I, I just stopped thinking about what place I was in um, or trying to even keep track. It was just, the next person because at some point we started lapping people and I had no idea if you know we were passing some, like you could probably tell by the speed they were running but you know I didn't like if it just know, blew up yeah Alistair I, I never actually technically passed him because he pulled off the course and like so I didn't realize that I was in front of him for and that example. happened with a lot of guys a lot yeah. of guys pulled off the course so it was it was and from my perspective too, it was impossible to know where, especially for me being even further back, it was like, I could have been in, I knew I probably wasn't in top 20, but I could have been in 20th or 50th and I had no clue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so it was really just the awesome thing about the course was, well, first four loops loved it. Cause you can just chunk it out and just like, you can always get to that next you got a little bit of a, a pick me up going through the home stretch because there's a lot of energy there, and so it's well, we just saw like Sam get, Long get that. Yeah. <laughs> get, <laughs> Don't eye roll. <laughs> so it's <laughs> uh, so just yeah, get to that home stretch, feed off that energy, and then you know. Um, but the other part, awesome part, was you could see, you know, there wasn't hard corners, so you could see how how far, and the cones were still there, so like. I could easily see that I was making ground on everybody as I was coming up to them. And, and so um, it was always just about like keeping closing that gap to the next person. And that was really the only focus. Um, yeah. Um, so, Matt, so where do you go mentally when you have to work that hard and then you have to work even harder? Like what logic do you think of? Do you think of, okay, how do my feet feel or what's my breath? Like, are you totally zoned out? I honestly like, it's such a hard thing to explain, but I'm not there. Like I'm there, but like, I'm not trying to be inside, like think about pain or think about, it's just, I don't know. It, it's such a hard thing to explain. Like I was trying to talk to somebody. It's like, so it's like an out of body experience. Like I definitely wouldn't say that. That sounds kind of weird, but I, I don't know. How else. Mushrooms. Yeah, no, <laughs> there's, there's no mushrooms or anything. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I wish I could explain the the feeling, you know, and it's it's really hard to go to that place, to that really, you know, to to 
and you you've I've only done it a couple of times in in a few races where you just get to that level where it's just like you're you're in the zone I guess that's the best way to put it it's just I remember Troy talking that, about that years ago and like it, he says I've only got a couple of those every year and I think that's kind of what you're man if he to. can get him a couple every year uh, hats off to him I mean that's what makes him the best or you know when he was the you know so yeah. like it, it's it's hard to go there and when you're when you've been there and it totally exploded uh without knowing it like I've been there and you know woke up on the side of the road, hugging a two liter bottle of Coke, uh, in yeah. 2016 at Texas. And, and so there's that fear of going there sometimes yeah. as well. And, um, but yeah, I mean, to, to get there and, and stay there, it's a, it, it makes for a pretty special moment when you like finally figure it out. Like I, I, you know, coming into that last lap, I think I was in ninth or 10th at the start of the lap. And, um, you know, but I could see a big group of guys when I got to that first kind of zigzag area, and, um, you know, it was like, holy crap, like I could possibly catch a lot of these guys. And then, uh, you know, every one of them was like, are you on your last lap or you lapped out? <laughs> like last. <laughs> like look so into my I eyes and you will know. Kind of, I want you to kind of take me through this. So you're talking about like how you have this out of body experience, how you're just like running through this, these guys, you see your paycheck getting bigger and bigger. And maybe you said like, you're not always there cause you're kind of just in the zone, but you make that pass on George Goodwin and you're now in second place. Eden is, is up the road. You're about to hit the finishing shoot. When you hit that finishing shoot, do, do you, does that kind of zone just break? And then you're just like, Oh my God, I did it. Like, what were you feeling that moment? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like the paycheck side of things, I thought about that a little bit on, on the first laps, like, cause I wanted to be in the top 20 cause that was like a validating thing, um, to be, you know, in that field in the top 20 and get into the prize money breakdown. That's after what everybody that, wanted. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, I didn't think about it one bit. I had no idea what second place got until I saw the cardboard thing. And I looked down and <laughs> just like, Holy crap. Yeah. I thought it was 50 and it was 70. So that was, that, that made it even better. Um, but like, it, it's just, I really try hard not to let that be the motivator. Like to me, the motivator is finding how deep I can push myself and how, uh, how, you know, fast I can go or, you know, how well I can do. And that's like, that's where I get the most validation from. Um, the paycheck's awesome, right? Like that's what we all rely on to keep doing this. But what feeds me, especially you know, in training and especially in the races is that validation. But, um, you know, when I, I was on the backstretch trying to catch George and I wasn't making much, um, ground on him. And then that was when, that was the first time that that fear set in, like, can I do this or do I just play it safe? And, and then, um, we got to like the last, so right at the start of mile 11, um, my watch buzzed and I, I hadn't slowed down one bit. You know, like I, I put out my run file today, um, for, you know, and it was pretty much a negative split. I'm like, there's no, like, I saw that and like, you've got this. So like the fact that I was able to hold into the wind on mile 10, the same pace, I was like, we got this and just put in as big a surge as I could. I didn't want to get into a foot race with him. I didn't know what kind of kick he would have. So I wanted to do the work early. And, um, but man, I got to the carpet and lost my, <laughs> lost it. Oh, you saw the, the reaction on, on the live feed. Uh, it, yeah that was when like everything snaps into place like uh, holy 
cow. Um, I might have said uh, yeah. some words that I, I uh, you know, oh, my mom wouldn't be too happy about um, at the <laughs> end. Just like it was just like, I, you know, we got it done. <laughs> yeah. So did Paula Finley coming into the shoot. All I saw was her mouth, the F word. And I was like, yeah, see you guys. <laughs> uh, but I think, uh, I think Belinda Granger, um, she's, she was commenting, right? For yeah. the, um, I think she, she gave you the title of the book you're going to write. It was called, I think it was like run recklessly. She was like, he oh, just I, runs recklessly. I, I thought you were gonna gonna mention the comment of not podium material that she made. <laughs> oh my gosh! What? Like, yeah, I just didn't think he was podium material. I'm like, I should make that my hashtag. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. should also be the subtitle. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. a couple of things I I kind of picked up is like, and I think a lot of us can relate to this that you're that the state of mind you're in in a race is extremely important and we all go through those highs and lows, but it's about staying on as high of that wave as you can the whole race. And you managed to do it extremely well. And I think the fact that you were able to catch guys all the way along through the run. And I mean, maybe you didn't catch a lot of guys in the first lap, but okay. I mean, lap one, everybody runs well, pretty much as long as yeah. you're not completely cramping up and then you start catching guys and then, you know, you pick guys off and you just get momentum just kind of builds up and to have nobody pass you and nobody even probably hang with you for very long. Did that kind of like increase your, your positive mindset and your ability to push? Like, do you think you would have maybe not caught Goodwin for seconds if there were half as many guys in between you to, to feed off of? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the best part of, you know, there's a lot of things that went in my favor and, you know, I'll be completely honest that I think the best thing that helped me was Vincent Louis coming out of the, out of uh, T2, 20 seconds in, or out of the penalty tent, 20 seconds in front of me. Um, so like it took me, you know, a mile to catch him. And then um, I passed him and he ran on my, on my hip and then he passed me back and I ran on his hip. And then we just kind of went back and forth a couple times. And so just like that kind of just set things up. I'm like, okay, I'm running really well. Like I know who this guy is and I'm running outrunning him like that just set the stage and then yeah I mean I didn't catch my, many people like three people on the first lap but then it was just like boom 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 and it was everyone it was just like all right next one more again you know it's yeah. just uh that constant you know there's the yeah, thrills repeating that so yeah a lot of things went in my favor to make that possible for sure and it was I mean you got to give yourself the credit too because you got to still run the 5730 or whatever it was which is incredible um but yeah, I mean, it's the same, the same can go negatively. Like as you, if you get passed by someone, like I, I did a lot of back and forth the whole race and generally mm -hmm. I moved up, but you know, every time I passed a couple of people, I'd feel better. I would all of a sudden not feel as tired. And then somebody would pass me on this happened mostly on the bike and then I'll get discouraged. And like, it's just yeah. so, and as an athlete, you, I'm, you're better at this than probably anyone just putting away those little discouraging moments and just focusing on the positive ones and having the more positive mindset i'm sure helped you and, and that's yeah the, the hardest there. the hardest part of the race uh for me was you know sam lionel and um you know, one other guy um bmc guy i'm just blanking on his name but we actually I, what's that chris leiterman no um uh yeah, that's as embarrassing because we were literally just talking um but anyways uh, there's three race guys brain, that, dude. that that uh that passed me and um and I rode with them for two laps uh, or rode, you know, with keying off them for two laps and realized that, you know, I, I was an hour into the race and it was back at threshold. 
And that was not where I could be with my race plan. And so I had to make a conscious choice to let them go um, before I got to the front of the race. Like I just, I had to do it um, because I was just, I was on the rivet too much and, and I, you know, it was going to be a long day. And, and so that was the lowest point, that next lap, just staying focused and just like hit that five flat lap. You know, every lap was five oh one, five two. you know, just, and trying to do that, you know, that was the hardest part of the race. And so, um, yeah, to, to see it then paying, you know, that was the, the valley and you got to stay, um, stay focused and find a way out of that to, to get back. And it took a lot of self-talk. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, all in all, the race turned out to be what we all kind of knew it would, um, you know, spectacular, um, uh, representation of what our sport has to offer. Obviously there were some obstacles with that many guys on the course. The women's race seemed a lot cleaner due to yep. less, less volume. So, you know, once the Collins cup is probably re reactivated next year, that should be a race that's incredibly fun to watch given the scenery, yeah. the course. So a lot to come in 21 or 2021. Obviously we, we don't, even, you know, hopefully you haven't even thought about like next week, you're just still riding that bod. <laughs> um, so we're not going to ask you to speculate on anything going forward. Just, you know, just know that like, you know, Jackson and I, we always, and even Garrick, you know, we always love racing with athletes like you. You're very candid. You, you don't, you don't really hold anything back. There's no mystery. It's just plain old hard work, talent, and then a determination to, always push yourself when it seems like other people might give up. And it's, it's really like, you know, a heroic effort, what you did at Daytona. And I think in my opinion, like I haven't seen anything to the likes of that in years, especially the ability to close that gap from, you know, 20th to, to second place with the amount of caliber of elite elitism in front of you. So, uh, you know, we, we absolutely feel like honored to have you on the show for that. So thank you for coming on. Well, I, I appreciate it, and I appreciate it, uh, you guys having me on. It's definitely uh, fun to do a podcast with uh, guys that were in the race. Uh, you can definitely talk at, uh, things on a, on a different level than uh, you do in a lot of other podcasts where, you know, people, ju you just got, you guys have a different perspective because you, you understand uh, a lot of the tactics that maybe uh, some of the other people do. So this is a lot of fun. Yeah. So awesome. any final questions there, fellas, for Mr. Hansen? Yes, of course. Well, Matt, so I'll uh, use this to kind of pump myself up a bit. I have beat you in races before. So, oh, God. So well, I think we're about 50-50 still, right? Almost. I mean, you definitely, you know, pulled up on it, and, and I've maybe gotten you a few less times. But how do you <laughs> – And I think Matt made more money than you've ever made. Uh, <laughs> hey, we just talked hey, about how it's not about the money, Garrett. So whatever you're saying doesn't count. But my question yeah. is, my question is, how do you – you know, keep improving. I, I mean, obviously, uh, in terms of years in the sport, we're probably both in a similar point. You started an older age than me. How do you keep improving and believing like you can improve as, you know, maybe um, the statistics would say you shouldn't be getting faster at a, at a shorter than an Ironman race? Um, and just, you know, like you said, racing aggressively like that. And that's something that I, I really take to heart and, and really learn from. But like, what's your advice for people who've been in it for, you know, 10 years and you still want to keep improving? Like, how's that mindset in your training day to day? Yeah, I mean, one, you're always getting smarter tactically. And, um, you know, this year, you know, there's a lot of examples of how tactics can win races or lose races. And so, uh, you know, I still have uh, a lot to learn there. Uh, one of the biggest 
uh, reasons that I've been able to um, start uh, performing better in the last couple of years is my swim's slowly getting better. Still has a long way to go, um, but that's the low hanging fruit. And so like I've found that and really attacked it. And, you know, it's just finding ways uh, to continue to be efficient, you know, like back in 2017 and 2018, I was, you know, running like this on pretty much every course, but I wasn't biking or swimming nearly what I was doing now. And so it's just, you know, the, the, the sports evolved. Um, and as you, you age, you've, you've got to kind of evolve, uh, with, with the tools that you still have. And, uh, I've got a team behind me, uh, that I think helps me do that quite well. Absolutely. Nice. And what do we have to look forward to from Matt Hansen going forward? Uh, hopefully, a hopefully a world championship title. That, that, that's the ultimate goal. Um, America on the podium at Kona, man. Winning. Um, hopefully the top step. I mean, that's, that's, that's the key. I mean, he's got the ability. The biggest, he's seen the, it. The, the biggest difference between, you know, I've, I've not raced well in Kona. No one, you know, there's no doubt about that. I've always had like a weight on me. Like I've always put that weight on me leading into that race week. And in Daytona, like I just didn't have that there. I felt so. So the biggest takeaway for me is trying to figure out how to get that feeling that race week feeling to Kona. Like we had the same media hype and all those things, but I just didn't put the pressure on myself to perform. A lot of it was because I think Thorsten had me pick 37th overall. Um, so there was just no pressure. No one thought like I had a shot, like, and, and I was a hundred percent fine with that. It took all the pressure off and I could just go and execute a day. And, um, and so, you know, trying to take that into, into Kona is the next step for me or 70.3 worlds or, the next Daytona or whatever, but now there will be pressure on me um, to perform. And so uh, trying to hold that. I think we should do a follow-up on the accuracy of his predictions as well. (laughs) He's done so much for the sport. He's creating a lot, but it's tough to to have an algorithm determining how much money we make in some of these uh, end of the year payoffs. Yeah. And like, Uh, I don't know we'll we'll have a rankings discussion one day and yeah you gotta start somewhere but as as the pto gets more and more of these races that are pto specific i think that that the the ranking system will evolve and that will be great yeah it's a great start are they gonna have they asked you to be on the athlete board of the pto uh i'm i'm on uh so i ran for one of the the um original board spots and and uh didn't didn't get selected there but i'm on a I'm on a board that's going to be helping develop new opportunities for up and coming athletes. That was one of the biggest things that uh, I felt was important. And, you know, the first questions that I had for, for Rachel Joyce coming out was what's in store for this, because like, you know, to be honest, I'm not interested in being part of a rich get richer, you know, system, obviously you should be rewarded and rewarded well. um, But uh, for performances um, like, you know, at big races and, and I have nothing against that, but I, I definitely wanted, um, a, a system where, you know, like people who are just starting in the sport can, can make it work and, and really have a chance to, to survive the first couple of lean years when you have no sponsor profile or anything like that to fall back on if you have a bad race. And I was super pumped that the, the PTO stepped up and found extra money, um, found extra slots for this race, but also, money you know, and also the payoff at the beginning of the year to pretty much every athlete who wanted, who was a part of the PTO, um, just to help a little bit. And 
So that gave me so much more uh, belief that we're headed in the right direction uh, with the PTO. And so I'm happy to be a part of that, of that side of things. And so real quick before you go, I didn't know you were on a board like that. Do you see this um, kind of format being in like the pay structure as well as the race format and coverage being sustainable going forward? You know, I really think that, you know, if, if, they're doing it right, right? They got the they got the the big names and they got the hype, and that's going to get eyeballs on the screen. And once people get eyeballs on the screen, then you know you're going to have more people willing, or more businesses and corporations willing to put invest money into it because they could see a return. Uh, I think they've they've secured funding for uh, five years, I believe, um, which is enough time, I really think, to get get the footing and create a stronghold. Um, I, I really think they're doing a lot of things right. Certainly there's a few things that I, I think could be done differently, but I'm just one voice. And, and the best part is, is I have that voice now and, and they'll listen to me. They may not do it, but they'll listen. And that, that's the best part of the whole thing. Yeah, perfect. Well, I'm really glad you're in there because I think you're going to represent those you know, up-and-coming athletes really well as someone who was an up-and-coming athlete not too long ago, really. Um, and we've all been there, but... Um, I mean, could you imagine being, you know, two, three years ago in your career and this happens and you can't race? Like, yeah. how would you, you know, yeah, it, it would no be, idea. you know, without the, that support, it would have been, you know, even with that support, it was, it was a lean summer at least. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, cool. Well, Matt, obviously, you know, hats off to you as an athlete, a professional and, and, you know, everything you do seems like next level. So, we can't i'm glad you live so close to utah so you know hopefully you guys come down here and i can like yeah, for sure. see you run down the road um <laughs> but yeah so we'll look to have you on hopefully again in I'll the future try to hold your cool. oh yeah thanks for that thank you so much for saying that that's nice of you. um <laughs> but yeah so thanks for coming out we loved having you and you know we'll get you on again hopefully whenever you're available all right sounds good thanks guys thank Oh my God, that was awesome uh, to have Mr. Hansen on the podcast here. He was the guy that really stepped up this weekend, I thought, and kind of blew us away. He came out of really nowhere. He was never on the leaderboard. And then all of a sudden it seemed like, boom, he was in second, just sprinting through everybody. I know he scared the heck out of me. Boys, what'd you think of that? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I just, I have so much respect for Matt Hansen and how he just absolutely goes for it. And it's amazing to see it actually actually pay off in a big way. Like sometimes it really pays off and he wins a race. Sometimes he's a little bit, you know, his run legs don't come around. And this time it went absolutely perfectly and unbelievable to see, you know, a guy that some people would have said isn't podium material, maybe just destroy and uh, finish second. It was super inspiring and encouraging for me because you know, maybe it's a sign that I can race more aggressively and sometimes it'll pay off and sometimes it won't. But if you want to make it to that highest level, you got to go for it. And Matt Hansen was proof of that. Um, I know you guys already talked about the women's race in the intro to this episode. Um, so I wanted to just talk about real quick, like I was like almost in tears watching Paula race. Anybody else? Yes. Oh, Jackson, you weren't. Of course I was. Like, I watched. Like, I was just like, oh my gosh, Paula, yes. 
hey, we're Canadian. Of course, we're going to be extremely stoked. Yeah. Oh, you guys probably are going to have a holiday, the Finlay Friday or something like that. <laughs> yeah, for the like 0.1% of the population that knows what a triathlon is, we'll all have that holiday. But, but yeah, so both her, I mean, not to take anything, we didn't, you know, not to take away anything from Gustav Eden, who obviously was also crazy, crazy, intelligently fast. Uh, but, you know, Matt and Paula, for me, just having, I know I don't know Gustav really, but knowing those two, it's, I don't know, it's just like, it kind of fired me up for the whole next year. And I think I'm never going to forget watching those performances for the next, you know, years of training sessions. That's my two cents. Oh, for sure. And it's totally different when you know the person, like, how many times have we raced with Matt and talked to him after the race and before the race and, and Paula at all these races too. And, you know, you kind of get to know these people and it's like your friend is winning this race. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, coming on the podium. So, and it makes it seem that much more right there because we've been there, (laughs) we've been there racing with them and close with them. And um, it's, it's yeah. But of course, Paula's race is extremely emotional, like having the history she's had in the sport and the struggles and to come back and win is, um, I mean, these are the stories that are going to hopefully make this sport, you know, something people want to follow because you put so much into the sport. And if people really follow the journeys, I think it, it means a lot more. Um, and to show it on the, the, you know, the big stage, like the PTO did, it's an amazing start. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was awesome to have Matt come on the the podcast uh nick i know you gotta run so we're kind of just gonna shut her down here because he's supporting his athlete who's doing an iron man right now isn't that correct nick well some athletes didn't get their fill they had like i coached probably uh, probably 13 to 15 athletes who absolutely had race after race after race canceled um, like everyone else, but they didn't have it. They couldn't go to another race. So they couldn't go to a PTO race or they couldn't do anything. So we've had to like be really creative. And a guy came out to just do the Ironman St. George course um, because he wanted to just, you know, do something this year that was important to him. So I got to go get on my bike and go give him some bike support or he's probably going to fire me. <laughs> Well, we don't want you to lose any athletes, especially in this time. So, (laughs) boys, until next time, peace. Peace out. out. Out.